Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 2, Far From Home, is over. But we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. We are coming to you from a remote outpost surrounded by parasitic ice. And my name is Jessica Leese. And here with me, as always, is the guy I bring to make a good impression when I'm doing first contact, Mr. Mike Bloom. Well, I'm flattered. I don't know if I will shed as many tears as Tilly did. But unlike Parasitic Ice, Jess, I will not jump down your throat over the course of this podcast. We're going to keep it nice and simple, do diplomacy, and neither in the uh, Giorgio style nor the Zara style. We're going to keep things nice and friendly here for episode two. Nobody's getting their neck broken with legs. Yeah, listen, Giorgio pulling a nice Saeed Jarrah. Clearly, she studied him in the Maybe that was her sort of like 19th century or 21st century touchstone that everyone seems to have in Starfleet is she loved watching Lost and she said, I can break people with my legs. I'd rather have that than to get what seemed like my insides boiled with that like very long firing phaser that that Zara was brandishing over the course of the episode. Yeah, I couldn't tell what was going on with that. And also because we don't know the physiology of this alien, we're not sure what exactly is happening to him. Mm. We've got stuff oozing out of his face. That could be his blood. It could be yeah. his brains. We don't know. Yeah, exactly. It could all be the same. I mean, this is also it's a I, I looked it up on Memory Alpha. It's a coridinite. Is the is the name of the species of Cal and his buddies were a part of? Uh, they were a part of a, a, a TOS episode and a couple of episodes of Enterprise. So they're not like completely new, but it's been a second. Uh, and yeah, not much information on them. So for all we know, they could be blue completely internally, or this could be a fun effect of being you know uh, broiled from a gun out from the inside out. Is that your blood turns just a a nice shade of aubergine? Yeah, it's true. It, it could also, like, maybe the gun pumps that stuff into you and it just comes out all your holes. Oh, that's interesting. So it's almost all like nine it's, of it's your like holes. A, yeah, it's like a cock gun. Yeah. Yeah. A long range cock gun. Well, let's, I guess let's, let's talk about the, uh, let's, let's move away from weird home improvement projects of the deadly variety. Cause we got part two sort of, I did see, so to answer, I'm not, I don't say answer our question about the whole part one of it all last week. I did see in some listings, this was listed as That Hope Is You Part 2, which would make sense considering that this really does sort of balance out the first part in that it's like, oh, and this is Discovery's story. I don't think it's been officially confirmed, but at least it seems like a spiritual sequel to the premiere, in my opinion. Yeah, it does seem like the other half of the story. It's like um, That Hope Is You, but then That Hope Is Also You. It's a different you. Mm, exactly. I see what they did there. Yeah, so I mean, we get. I mean, it's it's weird to say like the other half because that's to assume that one half is Michael Burnham and the other half is just about ten or to twelve characters on the Discovery ship. But they really, you know, I think that the second episode, well, the first episode bore a lot of weight in obviously setting up what the thirty second century looked like. The second episode bore a lot of weight in really having us like catch up and remember everyone who is on discovery and so from that perspective i think one of the reasons why last week's episode worked so well as we talked about is because it was so simple and smaller because it was only focusing on one character that we know this episode unfortunately had that job of introducing literally everyone else but i do think it was it was definitely handled i would not say i liked it as much as the premiere but i still enjoyed it i think it's off to a good start so far yeah, and it actually directly addressed something we had been complaining about, which was that we frequently would see these episodes that would totally ignore a character in the background, and then they just surface that character for two episodes, and the whole show would be about that character for as long as it took to tell their story and kill them. Mm. And we said, and I think we even used this exact example, we said we want to see more like subtly introducing the character, giving them a role that's in the B-plot that shows us a little bit about who they are without making the whole thing about them for as long as the show wants to tell us everything about them. And we got that. We got some Detmer here. We yeah. got some interesting Detmer that opens up a lot of questions, and it gave her a role that enabled us to get to know her a little bit better without making it be the Detmer show for the whole episode. 
Right. So it doesn't feel like, oh, they're really focusing on Detmer. It's almost like, you know, using the survivor parlance of like when you get that editing spike after being purple for so long. Oh, we saw with Arium. That means that you're gone. We have to get a little bit from Detmer here. I guess she is sort of like the C plot where to your point, it's few scenes, but they're like they seem very meaningful scenes or at least the stares that she's giving are very meaningful. I am I'm having trouble parsing out if this is going to lead into something bigger because my first reflex was to chalk it up to a form of PTSD uh, because Detmer is one of the only people besides Michael Burnham on Discovery who had been through the Battle of the Binary Stars, who was there on the Shenzhou when during this huge Klingon attack that saw their captain die and them get thrown around a bunch. It was that whole explosion that had her, you know, produced the cybernetic implant that's currently on her right now. So I my first guess was that, you know, when this was happening, maybe for some reason, particularly like this particular amount of turbulence and explosions, etc., just brought her back to that mindset. And that just made her super distant, though. I would not put it out of Discovery's purview to now have her become like a big key part of what's going to happen. And now she's just sort of signaling that things are going to be a bit different here than they were in the 2300 or the 23rd century for her. Yeah, that's true. And I also, I thought about, we've seen people with cybernetic implants before, and then they go to the future and Hey, it's the future. We don't need implants anymore. We can just fix you. Like, isn't Mm. that what happened to Jordy LaForge? So that could be where we're headed. Like, Maybe they're like, oh, we could cut this chunk out of the makeup budget. If, you know, we're in the future, we could just fix Detmer. Then we don't have to have that thing on our head all the time. Yeah, between that and killing off Arium, they're just really slicing and dicing that, that FX budget. Listen, Mike, it's important to keep your costs down because you never know when you're going to have to fly to Iceland to film one episode in Planet Iceland. I mean, to be fair, now we got two episodes out of it, right? Now we got, they went to like more of the icy part of Iceland, but it's, it's pretty much assumed that they filmed at the same place, right? Despite the fact that these are two different planets set a year apart. Right. This, this is definitely, this had the very Iceland look. Like, I don't believe there are any parasitic glaciers in Iceland, but there yeah. are some glaciers that look very much like the parasitic ice that we saw this episode. And I'm happy for it because I do think that I can't think of many cold, Star Trek climates that we have used for planetary experiences. The first one that comes to mind is obviously the undiscovered country uh, when they're in that prison. But I feel like because everything, especially in those first few series, were so soundstage based, it was tough to like pull that off realistically. And so I'm all like, yeah, I, I you know, it's it's uh, those early series were much like, you know, sitting in class. Like, I always love when they went outside and actually got <laughs> to explore the Vasquez rock. So it's like, great. Film it in Iceland. I loved that shot of Taru. Uh, Taru. I'll call them Taru. I'll ship them. Saru and Tilly, you know, <laughs> walking that like desolate tundra. It's it those those cool opportunities. And it's a reminder of how cinematic disco takes its cinematography over a lot of the other series prior, despite being on the same medium. Yeah, it's true. And I think I would guess that perhaps Star Trek for a long time shied away from cold weather episodes because they were worried about drawing comparisons to the iconic cold weather space mission scene, mm. which is, you know, the first half hour of Empire Strikes Back. Like, That's if true. You, if you're trying to do something in snow, you can't help but be compared to Hoth. So, right. And TNG came out, like, I think two years after Empire 2. So, like, they were extra keen on not going in that direction. Seven years after. You're oh, thinking yeah. of Return I, of the I, Jedi. I thought it was 85 for yeah. some reason. No. Empire was 80, so, and TNG was 87, 86, 87. Yeah, so, I mean, around that time still, it's probably still uh, on the brain, but I'm happy that enough time has passed that they're able to explore it now. I mean, to be fair, uh, they were not completely dressed appropriately for the weather, but you know what? They're able to get by. I'm assuming Kelpians maybe have some sort of layer of blubber to them that we just don't see on their, like, skeletal bodies. I was going to say, Kelpian doesn't have any blubber, uh, but I did, I did really love Saru's poncho look 
It looked oh, like yeah. it was very it's very District 12 in the Hunger Games, I thought. Yeah, I was going to say like between like the black on black with the scarves and everything. I mean, and this is also one of the first times we've seen Saru in Civs because uh, we saw Tilly at the end of season one, right, when they went to to, to Kronos right. uh, sort of like in casual clothing. And that was the other thing that um we were I was reminded of last episode when Michael got the truth serum was when Tilly got super drunk and Clint Howard like convinced <laughs> her to give the bomb to him. But I, I like seeing that from him because, I mean, it is we're now officially in like Captain Saru mode, assumingly right now, Jess. And I feel like this was a big I feel like we said this every season, but this was a big episode for Saru's leadership of like, this is the biggest crisis the ship has ever faced. And he's and he locks into that captain mode. I, I was very impressed by what Saru was able to do this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think Saru has just been waiting for this opportunity to show that he can lead. And he really thought about it from like a human resources perspective. And he knows that a good captain, and this is not true of every Star Trek captain, and might not even be true of most Star Trek captains. But his whole rationale was, I need to pick the correct person for the correct job and utilize the resources that I have in front of me. Whereas Kirk would just be like, yeah, you, you, and you, and oh, you're hot. I'll bring you. Mm-hmm. And I think Picard would want to do it himself. And Cisco would just – wouldn't even pick people. He'd just like take off and like punch the guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did, I know we got a question from the great Brendan Fitzpatrick about the choices for the away mission. Was, you know, Saru picks him and Tilly. It's a little atypical of Star Trek to not have a third – he wondered if this should have been an opportunity to pick one of those C-listers, like you said, whether it be... Mm-hmm. And this this actually happened in the original Terralisium episode in season two, right? Where it was Pike, and it right. was Michael, and it was Owo uh, who went out together. So do you think there was an opportunity to bring a third in there? Or was it because of all this Zara stuff that it wasn't necessary? Well, I think we got a third anyway. That's but, true. We got like a stowaway third. Yes, it was, I think, short-sighted of Saru because when you go hiking, then I've had this drilled into me since I was a child. If you're going hiking with your friends, you always go with at least three people. And the reason you mm. do that is because if one of you gets hurt, you need one person to stay with the hurt person and one person to go back and get help. Oh, is that why they, the three of them went camping together at the beginning of Star Trek V when they sang Row, Row, Row Your Boat and like roasted hot dogs and put on hollow boots is because they, they knew about that hiking rule even centuries later? Exactly. You always need a team of three. And I feel like Star Trek has kind of adhered to that. Maybe, maybe Saru was absent that day. It seems like kind of a short-sighted thing for him to not choose two people to come with him. Yeah, I mean, well, I think Zara even brings that up or one of his uh, his cronies does when they're at the bar and they come in. They're like, oh, nobody's nobody was standing guard with by you. That's kind of stupid, uh, which, yeah, I would I would guess makes sense as well. And I guess I mean, we very clearly see that Saru and Tilly do get bailed out by Giorgio here in many manners of speaking. Uh, otherwise, they might have been depleted by their dilithium and completely <laughs> stripped for parts had Zara gotten his way. So Saru got by here, though. I don't know. I, I think that the I think Giorgio is going to if she stays on the ship, which is a big if, I think she is going to continue to be the biggest challenge to Saru's leadership because she really just seems like that person that's like, I was only here for Michael Burnham. Michael Burnham isn't here. I don't respect you. It's a good point. Or, you know, I don't put it past Saru to be playing like fourth dimensional chess here. <laughs> And what if he said, okay, I'm going to take the non-threat who makes a good first impression, and then I'll just tell Giorgio to come and check on us and make sure we're okay. And if we're not okay, then she can do the thing she does when people are not okay. Mm, that is interesting. It's a little bit of like reverse psychology, right? Of like, I'm not taking you on here. Though I wonder if he was doing it, uh, obviously, like looking at how rogue she can be, or if he was doing it as a punishment to her for just being so saucy in his ready room towards Tilly. It's it's a good point. Uh, I think she probably wouldn't listen to him at that point. But it does make perfect sense, especially when when Zara says to them, oh, there's nobody outside guarding you. That was stupid. He's like, well, yeah, that shows how much you know there is somebody guarding us. And mm. she's morally bankrupt and can kill people with her legs. So maybe just don't step to me. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the thing. He, he had a lot of... Uh, that's an, the other thing as well is I think... I mean, I think Saru's attitude in approaching this situation had some interesting elements to it. Uh, <laughs> I'll admit, I was a little... Angela and I were watching and we were both a little confused by his take of... We're from the distant past, and so we know very specific things that might affect the future, so we shouldn't tell them about it. It just, that, almost the opposite should be true, in my opinion, unless I'm misinterpreting this. (laughs) Yeah, no, he's really confused about how time travel works. Yeah, you you can't go forward to the future and then retroactively change things. Yeah, I can't tell you about something that happened in the past that you could probably go look up on Space Wikipedia. Exactly. Because it might ruin the future. And you know what? That's like, if I tell you things right now, I'm not ruining the future. The future is just going to happen. Yeah. So I can understand keeping your cards close to your chest more so from Giorgio's perspective, which is just like, hey, people are naturally hostile. Don't reveal too much information at at once. But Saru's like, we're doing it to protect them. We can't reveal because it might change the timeline of years (laughs) to come if we reveal that we were there when control went down. Yeah, I thought the whole point was to put you in the future so that control couldn't have you and you don't need to make a, you know, you don't need to make a thing about it. That's where you are. You're in the future. So control can't see you because it's the future. Yeah. Well, speaking of control, uh, did you like the, the follow up, I suppose, on what happened to Leland, quote unquote, after the end of season two? Well, I loved the shout out to Lost. Speaking I was going to say shout got a, lot of Ar- a little bit of arst on your boots there, Georgia. Yeah. Um, I, I did like that. I think you might have had some of the deep fans being like, well, what if he comes back? Like, if he's in the brig, he could come and he could, you know, he could revolt and maybe he's not dead. Well, he's definitely dead because he's soup. Yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, the last thing we saw him and it was even on the previously on was like the nanites that were in him got pulled out due to being inside the spore cage. And I guess I didn't maybe think about what happens next. And evidently, it's just like it completely disintegrates your body to the point where this poor ensign, probably like a Brad Boimler type, has to now shovel them out of the spore cage. I feel like this is definitely something we're going to see on Lower Decks eventually. Yeah, like if not, I'm surprised we haven't seen it already that like someone just gets completely vaporized or like gets turned into an amphibian Voyager style. And like you have to one of the poor ensigns has to clean up after them. Isn't this thing? It's the freaking future. Can't they just like beam that into space? I mean, it's the past of the future, though, right? It's it's still the 2200s. Everything in this show is our future. Yeah, that's true. And also, uh, it's more futuristic than other ships at the same time period. So maybe they just haven't. You know what? They're working on the spore drive. They haven't focused so much on like self-cleaning spore cages, you know? Yeah, I feel like that would be my first priority before I would work on the spore drive. I feel like I would want janitorial to be on lock before I even try. Yeah, at least, you know, uh, it, it makes the job easier, even though you're you're waiting on time. Though I could imagine that Stamets was so focused on his mission. He's like, yeah, I'll clean up after myself or one of those stupid ensigns will do it. I don't care. I need to focus on my spores right now. Yeah, maybe their maybe their janitorial strategy is just ensigns. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've got plenty of ensigns, though. I mean, hopefully enough survived the the crash to be able to. I mean, it seemed like they got they had minimal casualties, I would yeah. say. Did anybody actually die? Well, I think when Zara gave a head count uh, later on, Tilly was talking about like the, yeah, like you said, like those who were wounded. I'm not sure. I mean, that sick bay looked pretty crowded and considering it, it's just, you know, Culber and the main the head doctor, I am surprised they were able to assumingly not kill anybody but maybe just futuristic talent technology is that good that there's a much significantly less chance that someone will die on your hands even if you don't have enough time dedicated to one-on-one FaceTime with them well i mean look at what technology can do even in the you know the slightly less distant future it looks like you can have someone get stabbed with a giant like 7-inch spike and Two days later, it's like, you got to get up. We need the bed. Yeah. 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 That's interesting as well. I mean, not even two days. It seemed like it was just like, I mean, assuming if they immediately went through the wormhole, like waited a portion of time and then came out again and immediately crashed on the planet. Two days is two hours. It really seems of like, yeah, you're fine. Go lie in the the bio bed for a bit. Go get a tan. Yeah, exactly. So that was interesting. You know, I what I did enjoy about this episode, again, is that it was a good reintroduction to a lot of these characters. I would say the lone exception for me 
was Culber. And then, I mean, it was great to see Wilson Cruz be shady, but I, you know, I, we left things on a weird note at the end of season one with Colbitz. Uh, so it was interesting to have them sort of like just jump right into him being so schmoopy with Stamets and schmoopy in his Culber way, which is again a bit biting, but like so, you know, romantic for lack of a better term, with Stamets when he brought him out of his coma, considering that Stamets did not know the coma confessional that Colbert gave of like, oh, I actually do love you. You're my place. You're my person. Uh, so Stamets wakes up all of a sudden. He's like, oh, this guy who was not giving me the time of day before and was fine with me transferring is now like saying, I'm glad to have you back. Yeah. Oh, he's into me. Okay. But maybe he's just not going to question it. Yeah. Or maybe I mean, he's still like, I almost died and I gotta recover a little bit more before i really cross-examine my relationship here yeah do not look a gift to lotion in the mouth i suppose so yeah i mean that was one of my big questions coming in because that's you know one of the beating hearts of this season is their relationship but i i guess it seems like it's good right now yeah i feel like it got short shrift compared to the ongoing bromance between reno and stamets which felt a little forced like i think they just knew that we have such great chemistry between these two actors and we love the way they play off of each other. We just got to come up with a reason like, oh, Stamets has to go into the Jeffries tube and nobody else can do it because of reasons. Yeah, I, or I guess well, his reason in particular was that like he was too stubborn, which just feel very Stamets. Again, very on character yeah. for Stamets to be like, I'm not hurt. I'm going to take care of this. You know what I, I just realized in you talking about like the quote unquote bromance is that I really do feel a Bashir O'Brien arc for Reno and Stamets uh-huh. of like not respecting one another and then coming around to like actually be very close compatriots. I don't know if they're going to be playing darts together anytime soon, but I, I feel like that is that is brewing. Yeah, it definitely is. I, I actually I saw a very funny comment in the Star Trek subreddit that I they love the um Everybody is very high on the Reno Stamets friendship, um, or, you know, adversarial full right, friendship. Like frenemies, yeah. Yeah, frenemy kind of situation. And then somebody commented like it was, it was the space gays saving the world. And then someone else <laughs> said, well, at least now we know what the gay agenda is. And on that agenda is saving discovery. Yeah. I, oh, I love that. I didn't even think about that. That's, that's fantastic. I will say this was a, it's interesting that you, I mean, there was a lot of Jet Reno quips. I enjoyed them. I think, you know, Tignataro literally just had to sit back and quip this episode. Uh, It was weird circumstances, right? Where, like, she happened to be laid up at the same time as he, feeling like he was so compelled to say, don't send an ensign or new Arium. I'm going to be one to call in the Jeffrey (laughs) tubes. And then it's her and Colbert giving, like, the dual motivational speech to have him replace this relay that boots up the entire ship. Yeah, it, it did feel like it was a little bit... It was a little bit on the nose, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed the interplay. I enjoyed the lines. I liked, I liked Reno being shot up with drugs. And yes. it's like, I'm surprised that drugs that far into the future haven't advanced to the point where you don't get a loopy high off them. But that was fun anyway. Yeah. Maybe there's like a drug version of Synthahol where it's like, uh, you know, it, it won't give you the, the huge after effects, but it'll still provide the main effects. But yeah, there's, there was a, a great little final exchange after, you know, they get uh, Stamus to replace the, the relay of, you know, back at you, Bobcat. Bobcat, I don't know. I'm on drugs, uh, which means, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful this means a larger role for Reno in season two. And from that perspective, I'm hopeful to see some more depth from Reno. I think anyone who has seen the Amazon Prime show One Mississippi knows that Tignatario is capable of great, you know, dram- dramatic chops as well as obviously her comedic chops. So I'm hopeful that as fantastic of a comic character as she is right now, that we, we could find some stuff to her. We don't need to like saddle her with a tragedy necessarily, but I'm, I'm excited to hopefully see new dimensions of this character that has already been so much fun so far. Yeah, and I love that she's finally like, they're like, you're seeing your staff and you're going to be on the bridge. You're going to be fixing stuff because I think Reno has done more as far as interesting stuff that is revolutionary that can really help out when you're exploring new worlds. I think she's done more than pretty much any character I've ever seen in Star Trek. Like the thing where she's an engineer keeping like five people alive in bio beds because fixing is fixing. Yeah. 
I mean, how could you not want her on all the time? So I'm hoping, I know she's in a few more episodes, but if we could just have her all the time, that would be fantastic. Yeah, she's really like the Star Trek multi-tool, right? She's like, right. ah, well, you know what? This 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 toothpick can work on a, on a door, too. So, like, feel free to use me. Yeah, so I'm happy that she got upgraded to Bridge as well. Tilly mm-hmm. is a really interesting role, too, because... I mean, you just spoke, you spoke about lower decks where we have a really clear picture in mind as to like where ensigns fall in the usual hierarchy of, of a starship. But I feel like this has happened ever since we first met Tilly and especially with her becoming a prominent part of this episode that like she is not really an ensign. Like, I do not know uh, why she would be on the bridge, particularly for this. Maybe this was to replace Stamets, and she worked so closely with him, and he was obviously indisposed. But sometimes I need to remember, like, oh, yeah, Tilly's an ensign, and she's going on away missions as one half of the crew. Well, I think Tilly probably felt like she's a little bit above her station after the whole Captain Killy thing. She's like, Mm. oh, look what I'm capable of in another universe, so... Maybe I really am going to be command material. And, you know, she knows everything. They have Ensigns on the bridge all the time. But yeah. it's, it is, it is, like, she's always been our kind of entry point into this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, great on Saru. I mean, Saru, though we debate his methodical skills when it comes to not meddling in time travel, <laughs> I think, you know, his moments with Tilly shows some great moments that we have with captains who like, you know, see something in a younger person and, and want them to explore. We see that we saw that all the time with Picard and Wesley. We saw that with Cisco and Nog, uh, you know, in that infamous monologue that Aaron Eisenberg did. So I, I always feel like that's a great facet of the Starfleet higher ups is being able to see initiative and go getting this in their their lower decks, as it were. And it seems like, you know, Pike did it a little bit and Saru seems to do it much more so probably because he has more of that personal experience with her. But yeah, I could imagine that, that, you know, when there are vacancies, Tilly's going to rise through the ranks pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, Mike, you, you said you made a joke earlier about shipping them. And I was just thinking like, these are the two characters in Star Trek you pretty much can't ship because they're both so by the book. They'd never yeah. go there. Yeah, that's actually very true. They feel like they'd have to report it to some sort of Starfleet HR. Yeah, it's like it's like on the office when you had to fill out that form if you were dating your coworker. Yeah, exactly. So though again, if they watch lower decks, they would know that much more shady stuff was going on in, in Starfleet in terms of secrets being held that you know the the they didn't need to necessarily disclose about their relationship. But I think it's interesting. It's it's not like and the other thing as well is that Saru right now is also sort of missing his surrogate sister in Michael and his literal sister uh, from the Kelpian side of things. So maybe he's finding an, a bit of a relative in Tilly as well, especially considering what they just went through together. Yeah, it's true. And um, I like Saru being able to like throw his porcupine quills, too. That yeah, was I forgot a- about that. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about, you know, Kelpian puberty that he went through at the beginning of episode- <laughs> season two. Yep. Nobody's going to eat that guy now. Yeah, no, listen, he's going to eat people. I for, I, totally, I was like, oh, yeah, Saru's going to throw himself, but I, like, forgot about his offensive capabilities. But damn, uh, he, yeah, he just straight up, like, blasted Zara. I forget if those quills actually had any, like, poisonous attributes like you might find in, like, a lionfish, for example, but still incapacitated the guy enough for, you know, them being able to get the jump on him. Right. And I love that you actually took the time to learn that guy's name. Because I was just calling him Dollar Store Michael Douglas the whole time. Yeah, I mean, mullet and everything. I mean, yeah, so uh, let's let's talk about him. Because, yeah, I mean, this was the antagonist for the second half of the episode. And I'm torn here, Jess, because on the one hand, I would just think like, okay, this is your occasional one episode bad guy that is more so a representation to them about like the lawlessness that exists in the universe <laughs> now, right? Complete with like the Western motif with the spurs walking through the saloon doors. Another part of me thinks, well, Discovery pulls cameos from their butts that there's a chance this guy might show back up because he was not killed at the end of this episode. Yeah, and he'll be in the previously ons and you'll be like, oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, And then exactly. it'll be like, look at me, look at my duster jacket, look at my bullet. Well, here's the thing. Could this guy be the hairy mud? Of the 3100s. <laughs> Maybe. Like, I, I think he probably, he seems like he's a little more competent than Harry Mudd. <laughs> yeah, though uh, Harry Mudd did, you know, concoct that really, speaking of time travel, like that really fantastic time loop episode in season one. But yeah, Zara, I mean, he showed 
menace from the get-go. Like, he definitely seemed like a combination, like, mob boss and mob henchman in that he was clearly, you know, strangling these miners for everything they've got, but also is not afraid to just kill someone in cold blood, in cold blue blood right there and then. Yeah, it's it's true. And it was really he seemed really unfazed by the fact that they're just like, OK, we're going to kill all of your dudes. And now it's just you. He's like, yeah, all right. Didn't yeah, seem bothered by that. Well, I wonder, considering what we saw, like the courier stuff from from last week. And this also did make me wonder, you know, if Zara is a courier, like, is he going to the mercantile? How much does he necessarily know these people? But I wonder if it's a thing where, like, you can hire your own crew. And so maybe there is less of a personal touch of like, yeah, I'll take you and you. You red eyes and you other guy, you come with me. We're going to this, the colony to go check in on those, those, uh, those damn people who I've just kept like, you know, scraping by while I yeah, plumb all these, their resources. Let's go visit some of the workers that I exploit. Yeah, exactly. For just a good laugh or two. Cause I can imagine that Zara would do that. He's probably a middleman. He really, he seemed to have the self importance of a middle manager that doesn't have any actual power over anybody. Mm. And plus, he says he's a courier. Like, the big important guys don't go out and deliver their own groceries. Yeah, I mean, also, it seemed like, I mean, maybe this was a courier who, like, has a side gig because, again, it seemed like he wanted to, like, strip down their Starfleet technology and sell it for his own means. And like Book said last week, the couriers, basically, they only make enough to get by because they're basically just, like, getting a delivery fee essentially, for what they do. So maybe Zara is just doubly mean because he has his own business where he's serving as his own uh, eBay and selling (laughs) defunct Starfleet technology that people might want on the dark web. It's it's the eBay of the 31st century. But I actually, while while you're talking about all this, I'm just thinking back to that chapter of Freakonomics. It's about crack dealers. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Like, why do they live in their mother's basements? Yeah, it's like the only people that make money or, you know, if we don't want to talk about crack dealers, which we probably don't. This is kind of a family podcast. We can just talk about multi-level marketing. Yeah. Like they're just selling essential oils and he's like the guy at the bottom of the pyramid. He's trying to recruit these poor miners for his downline. That being said, uh, he does. He seems at least perceptive in that he is able to pretty much dress down any guys that Saru had up in about 10 seconds of like, yeah, I saw your ship. I see the technology you have right now. You're very clearly time travelers. And <laughs> he gets it much quicker than however long they spent with Cal and his buddies, uh, yeah. you know, trying to really put up this front of like, oh, we just been in space for a while. What's been going on? Yeah, or it's like how it took Book the entire episode to get it. Um, it is, this guy's pretty quick on the uptake. Uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty impressed with him there. Which again, this also feels like a shout out to Lost. Uh, the common, the conversation they have with Hurley where they're like, okay, who's the president? And he says, okay, fine, we're from the future. Yeah, exactly. It was just like completely crumbling of like, all right. Yeah, because Saru doesn't, it's like, no, you're completely wrong. He's like, no, you're the dude that just phasered this, the, the leader of the miners right in front of us. Clearly, we're not going to be able to get anything past you. Let's just start brokering things right now. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, that was a test. That was a test. Um, and you passed. I I mean, one of the reasons why I like Philippa Giorgio is just I love seeing Michelle Yeoh kick ass. I love mm-hmm. her getting in fights. I was going to say, like, it's been so long, but really it was the season two finale when she fought Leland that we, yeah. we saw her do it last time. But to have her take on three guys pretty much at once, it was it was very fun to watch her do. Yeah. And, you know, I started out the episode being like, oh, do we need more Giorgio? This is kind of annoying. You know, Mirror Universe Giorgio is pretty much everything out of her mouth. Sounds like a slogan you could print on a T-shirt. Mm hmm. And I, you know, like pain is my foreplay. Okay, yeah. whatever. But then, and I, I was even going to complain like, oh, it's another fight scene. Why do we need all these action scenes? Like this is not terribly furthering the plot, but it was such a good action scene yeah. that I could not look away from it. I, you know, it's usually the action scene. I kind of check my phone or whatever, but this was just so well choreographed and so exciting. And to watch her work, like she's just amazing. Yeah, and I mean, kudos to her and her stunt double as well. And I think it also helps that it was a smaller thing. It wasn't like last week where it's Michael and Book taking down like 10 people. I mean, it really was Giorgio taking down Zara and his two guys. And 
What I also liked about it is, you know, and maybe it's because I was suckered into this, but it really did seem like Discovery was just on its heels for so long with Saru and Tilly of just like, wow, Sora has really got them over a leg. And then Giorgio comes in. And even then, when she gets blasted, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, this is tough. But she's like, nope, I'm going to shove this stool into him and just kick this fight off. And it's just these times of like, damn, you're a badass. Like, no matter what you can say about the character, which, yeah, she's a little too OTT and scene shooting sometime. She can just be an absolute badass. And she ends up saving the day again. Uh, and I was, what do you make of the decision that she ultimately, you know, turns her weapon over to Saru in that moment, decides to take up his, uh, his offer to leave the judgment to the, those that are being, you know, infringed upon rather than her carrying out justice and killing Zara. Well, I think they effectively killed him anyway because yeah, they, I mean, they sent him outside. Sent him, yeah, yeah and after sunset in parasitic ice with like just a bare, like a, a, a habitable pack of rations to to stave him off. Yeah, I mean, which, which leaves the door open for him to come back. But I mean, let's be real; they sent him outside without a coat. Yeah, and well, it's pretty cold out. I realize that Zara does have con hair, so maybe he will sort of be that con. Who now? What is Saru? His his uh, Kirk. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I actually I thought I thought Khan as soon as you started talking about the villain of the week that they leave open for a cameo. Like I don't know, this guy's not nearly as cool as Khan, but they definitely they leave it open in case they need him to come back and mess with them. But we can also just assume he's dead. Yeah. I think I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be holding my breath waiting for Dollar Store Michael Douglas to come back and like mess with people again. Whatever, he can be dead. He can come back, he can be dead. Don't really care. Yeah, I mean, I think the point that I guess that Saru was trying to get across to her was like, yeah, you could do this, but like, we haven't gotten where we are by just killing everything that we see. We need to be better. And it's interesting because as much as we talk about the Terran terrorist that was Philippa Georgiou in the Mirror Universe, there seems to be some part of her that either understands that or at least understands the social aspect of like let me do what saru says for now and then i can have my fun later on yeah i think there's definitely that aspect to it and it's also like this is these people are her best hope to get anywhere and do anything and so she needs to play ball with them and she mm. needs to show them that she's going to be part of the crew and that she's going to play along and you know sometimes that means just playing by Saru's rule book. And sometimes that means fraternizing with the crew in strange ways because you know, she and Linus definitely got it on. Yeah. I was trying. So I was trying to figure out like my mental math that was much less dirty implications was that because he has such superior eyesight, like she used him to see where Saru and Tilly were going from far away and then tailed them. But maybe that's me putting too much together. You think she just, you know, had uh had some whoopee going on in the broom closet. Por que nolos dos, Mike Bloom. That's true. Georgia was a woman of many talents. I think she could do two things at once. I'm I'm pretty sure she did both things. Yeah, I'm, I mean, we also don't know how much time had passed since like she shirked her duties and ran off. But I mean, to your point, there's that conversation between her and Nan right when we check in with the Yum Yum crew from season two, and they're basically <laughs> like, "Hey, why are you on the ship?" And Giorgio basically says like. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I would stay with Section 31, but, like, I don't want to deal with red tape. I'm more than happy to just, like, fraternize from universe to universe. Which, again, the elephant in the room is that eventually Philippa Giorgio or some form of her needs to come back to the time of Section 31 to helm that Section 31 specific show. Unless the door is open now for Section 31 to exist in the 3100s. Well, maybe that's why they're called Section 31, Mike. Did it you ever make, think of that? It would make more sense than what it was initially when they only had 31 <laughs> ships. Well, it's kind of like when you go to Baskin-Robbins now, Mike. Do they have 31 flavors anymore? No, they don't. They have theoretically 31 flavors. But I counted last time I was in one of those places, and granted, it was the combination Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin-Robbins, mm -hmm. but there were only 18 flavors. Wow. That's, that's less than half. I or know. no, there's more than half. I, it's even if you count the soft serve machine as like two additional flavors, that is not anywhere near 31 flavors. I yeah, I think actually that's that, that would be a brilliant twist if, you know, Giorgio says this is where I leave you discovery and section 31. Maybe section 31 is going to be the name of like this new rebuilt federation of like, OK, you know, we're going to go back. 
we've rebuilt things. We're leaving this to you or Jojo. And it's like her wrestling between being her nice, evil, uh, you know, anti-hero self and like actually trying to be a genuine leader of good in this new version of the Federation. Yeah, I I think that is possibility. It could also be like, oh, there's no Section 31 anymore. She's like, okay, well, then I'll be it. I yeah. can be in charge. If there's nobody else doing it, then I get to be – I get to make up my own title. I can set my own hours. I can make my own missions. I mean, Giorgio could also, like, kick ass as a courier, too. Like, I really do feel like – I don't know. You know what? Here's my hot take. You've led me to this conclusion, Jess. I do not think if they go back for some reason to the 2200s, I do not think Philippa Giorgio is joining them. I think yeah. she's I think she's going to stay here because this is like her world. She could be she could very easily be the Zara just like g- taking over all these colonies, putting them under her thumb and ruling it with an iron fist because that would basically make her a Terran again. I mean, that's that's sort of what Zara was sort of like a mini Terran in the the empire that he was able to amass. I mean, pretty much. And, you know, she said like the exact quote is I'm going to enjoy this new world. If this idiot can run a settlement. Imagine what I can do in my sleep. Yeah, so I think this is sort of like her playground almost. Why would she want to go back? That she can just hang out here where there, everything functions under the lawlessness that she wants right now. Yeah, she's she's going to like it here, and they need someone like her on board to think like the people they're going to run into. Yeah, that's very true. Though, what is certainly going to help is what ends up being the final scene of this episode, which is we now have... Michael Burnham, what's officially with Sonequa Martin-Green season three look. And I can imagine that if she bring, especially if she brings book along, that they're going to be able to offer some insights as to how this universe works in the year that she spent there. Yeah, I'm going to guess that we don't need to know what she did during that year. I don't need a flashback. I just need her to be able to explain in the first five minutes of the next episode, here's how it works and here's where we're going to go and here's what we're going to do. I think that's all we really need. I'm sure I've heard we're going to get it, but I don't need it. I'll meet you in the middle of Jess. I would love for this to be a short trek or like, like almost like the equivalent of like a webisode of like the adventures of book and Michael where like maybe they do a few things, but I agree. It doesn't need to, we don't need flashbacks because we're not finding out anything new unless it's like, unless they meet someone who is so pertinent to the gap year that they took that we really need to find out what their history is. But to your point, it could very easily just be Michael yada yada and be like, Oh yeah, I met this person back on Chromatron seven. Uh, you know, they were real, real badass. So this is how we need to deal with them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's otherwise you run the risk of winding up sounding like, um, like the first officer in lower decks who spent his year in Barcelona. Yeah, exactly. Oh, never forget Jack Ransom. Uh, yeah, I mean, what I thought super interesting, and maybe this is just because of the, I don't know. I think they need to zoom out the view screen a bit. Oh, either that or Michael was standing way too close to the camera <laughs> on, on, I'm assuming what was book ship because it was just entire profile, only face, no body whatsoever. And that's like eight feet wide too. It was like yeah. trying to Skype with your grandparents. Exactly. But, but if you're Skyping with your grandparents on like an IMAX screen, where I agree, like the resolution, <laughs> it was stretching across the entire view screen, but it was solely panned in on her face. I was waiting for it to like the final shot for it to pan down to reveal that like, I don't know, she has like a squid body or something. And that's the big <laughs> twist that she got in the, in the year between. Yeah. I mean, well, we're going to learn a lot. She's going to be like, I'm pretty sure she's going to be like, oh yeah, this is book. We're dating now. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, like, or I, you know what? I'm going to be surprised. Like, we got married. Though, I guess, no, I don't know. Actually, I'm, I'm not going to put that on Michael Burnham. I feel like she would take more than a year to marry somebody, even if she felt it was hopeless that her ship would never come. Are you surprised that it's only been a year? Do, would you think that it would be a further gap between those two arrivals? I was surprised that it was that long, to be honest. Mm. I thought we were going to be, it was going to be like a month or two at yeah. most. I mean, a year's good. It's nice and tidy, so they don't need to, like, time things out now. Uh, plus, it does provide a nice amount of time where if you want to do flashbacks or reference previous events, you have 365 days of doing so where people don't need to be like, it doesn't need to be like a, an episode of 24 of, like, wait, how did this happen then? And then this happened at that certain portion of time. Uh, you know, and I think that, I mean... I also wonder how long it takes to grow her hair like that. But this is also the future where there might be things that can easily change your hairstyle like you're in a video game. Uh, Mike, I I feel like maybe it's time to burst the bubble on that. Uh, those are definitely extensions. Mm, I don't know, and- though. Maybe, maybe like the courier lifestyle has, has let her just really let it grow out, you know? 
I mean, it's possible, but it's also possible that you can replicate any hairstyle you want in the future. Yeah, I'm imagining for some reason, like maybe this is out of the Jetsons, like you put down the beauty parlor thing on your head and it like hums and then it comes up and you have whatever hairstyle that you want. Right, right. That actually, that reminds me a bit of one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite shows that people never talk about anymore. There is this 80s cartoon called Galaxy High. Galaxy High. Yeah, Galaxy High. It was about, they picked these two high school students to go to school off world at this place where all these people are from other planets and you could get a makeover and you could have your skin tinted any color you want. And it was, it was like, uh, you had to earn your place to get this super makeover and you could have your skin be green or purple or whatever. Oh my God. I feel like I'm looking at a picture of these now. These are extremely ugly characters. (laughs) Yeah. It was not, it's like even worse than, um, I remember it. Yeah, yeah I, I have like, fond memories like of everything. One character legitimately but. looks like a foot. Oh yeah, yeah. One of the, and one of the characters looked like a foot, and they had like one that, um, like you could see her brain through her skull. Oh my god! Wow, this was really bad. What was I thinking? <laughs> I should have been should have read more books. Listen, yeah, the eighty. Listen, the eighties were were a weird weird time, but. Yeah, I mean, I guess luckily, no, though maybe that's going to be another short track is going to be Galaxy High in the 3100s, though maybe education is is outlawed in this day and age as well. There's no Federation, no Starfleet Academy. Yeah, you know, school could have been like entirely privatized. They could be on a voucher system now. And, you know, there's no more public education. People just go to school. It's a dystopia, Mike. Yeah, exactly. Or now the schools are like, ruled by warlords or something where they indoctrinate you into programs. Yeah, you only get to go to school if you have enough dilithium to get to school. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we find out once again that dilithium... And I will also say, one thing I was worried about was, okay, now the other group is traveling to this time, are we going to have to get another explanation of what happened? But it seemed like they actually were pretty short with their words, about what happened, which is good, so that we didn't have to sit through a second explanation of what we already knew. Yeah, and I think that's why they timed things the way they did. Like, that's why we were introduced to the things we were at the times that we were. I mm. I really, I think it was really a bit of elegant storytelling, and if we think about this as two halves of the same coin, I am especially happy with how they did that. Yeah, I think especially when you, you know, I wonder how these two episodes would look if you played them together, almost like one big two-hour movie or one big two-hour block like they sometimes did with Star Trek series back in the day, because I think it would play even better than just these episodes separately, right? If, you know, we we have Michael saying, I will find you, I'm, I'm resolute to doing this, cut to Discovery now arriving in the future, like, it really does pair nicely. So maybe this really was a part one and part two, and they decided on a new name for part two at the last minute. They really should have thought that out. That just... Like, just take the part one off of it. Like, well, did you already actually, print up the know, labels? I'm, I'm, well, yeah, I'm looking at Wikipedia, and they may have taken the part one off the episode title already for for episode one. I think. Oh no! Now I've I've looked. I looked yesterday, and it said that hope is you. I looked right now, and it said that hope is you part one. So I think we're all a little confused about everything. Yeah, I I would love to hear. And Mike, aren't you interviewing some of these people? Why don't you ask them? I'm I'm not interviewing anyone at the moment who is naming the episodes. I have to get I have to get into the the heads of Alex uh, of Alex Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise and be like, what's going on with these episode titles, people? Yeah, doesn't Kurtzman have to sign off on this? Like, was he just like preoccupied and and just kind of signed something without looking at it? Yeah, exactly. Or maybe he signed that that hope is you, and maybe someone's thumb was over the part one, and he's like, wait, <laughs> what what is that doing there now? Yeah, or were they trolling him? And that's kind of a weirdly elaborate troll mm. to get something that doesn't make any sense. Uh, listen, trolls are trolls. I, I mean, next week, Jess, we're getting an episode, People of Earth. So it looks like, I would assume, we're going to Earth, which I didn't even think about. I totally didn't realize, like, oh, yeah, we haven't been to Earth in 3189. That's going to be really interesting without a Federation. Yeah, People of Earth, that sounds like a Twilight Zone episode. Mm. Well, it was or- a, short, a short-lived TBS show starring Wyatt Cenac as well, about alien <laughs> abductions. Okay. Wow, that maybe that's what I'm thinking of, Mike. But it also, like, if it was going to be the title of an episode, I would think it would be an original series episode title. Right. Uh, and also, a little bit of familiarity here, directed by Jay Frakes. 
Oh, oh, two takes Frakes. Excited yeah, to see him back. Exactly. Uh, because I think that, yeah, and another reason why, again, these, these two episodes feel like they're a pair. They were written by the same trio of people, Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lumet, and Alex Kurtzman, and directed by the same person, Olatunde Osunsami, who has directed a bunch of disco episodes. So this really feels like the first distinctly different episode, I'm going to assume, because we're going to have a new writer. We're going to have a new director and now everyone's back together and we're finally going to, I think, move into what this plot of the season might be. Yep. And it does say um, the plot summary does say they are going to Earth to find out what happened to the Federation. Okay, well, I mean, they're going to be very surprised unless Michael tips them off beforehand that there is no Federation. I guess I guess it wouldn't make sense. Like, even if there was no Federation, go back to home base and like yeah. see what's happening there maybe you know we we speculated right that there are still two big stars on the, that federation flag so maybe earth is one of them it would make sense to to go there where hq is but i don't know i feel like they're going to be in for disappointment yeah i don't think they're going to like what they hear but it does make sense from a standpoint of we already established you would think they'd just be like okay what happened to the federation and michael would be like okay here's what i found out because what has she been doing for a year? Has she just been working as a courier? And she yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm surprised. I wonder if she hadn't been back to Earth in that year, you know, or at least tried to explore it. Unless she's really all about, like, keeping a low profile. In that case, she's like, I don't want to stick my neck out for anything. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. But we also saw that she, you know, she swore the... You know, she swore the envoy into the Federation and he said that you couldn't get any long range communications. So the only ships you knew were the mm. ones that were like nearby. So I can see why you'd want to see about what else is out there Federation wise. And we should go to the headquarters, which are in San Francisco, I would assume. So we're just going to go back to Earth. Oh, no. What happened to the Golden Gate Bridge in a thousand years? I hope it's still OK. I don't know. Like I, I thought the Golden Gate Bridge had some trouble when they drained the oceans that one time. Yeah, exactly. I hope there'll be whales. Oh, oh, I didn't even think about what happened to George and Gracie. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Maybe they maybe they were able to live throughout though. Or maybe there those hollow whales in the bay. Though again, this is also the dystopian future, so maybe they said the first thing that goes are the whales. Yep. Well, we already learned that somebody's gonna come back checking on the whales. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Maybe it's Sarah. Maybe Zara's going to become the new whale keeper now that he sort of has been uh, uh, effectively disarmed. Yeah, he needs to do something. He needs to have a job. Yeah, I think so. Well, on the other hand, I feel like the utopian future where everybody has a purpose and is useful, we're kind of throw that out the window, haven't we? Yeah, I think so, considering that now people are, you know, doing things specifically to get a, a monetary payback from it. I think now the idea of it's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it has now come back instead of, you know, like what you do and do what you like. Yeah, I, it's like the maybe the Ferengi took over. That would be interesting. You know, we haven't seen them. I wonder if they were wiped out at all by more aggressive species or something. I, I could feel like the Klingons would just like have had enough with their yammering and just wipe them all out at once or something in, in 2500. Like they did with the Tribbles. Yeah, exactly. They just kept multiplying. Yep. Um, I could see that, or I could see maybe the Ferengi just took over. That would be interesting, too. If, you know, I could see especially, like, I'm surprised the Mercantile was run by a cooperation between the Andorians and the Orions, because what they were described really did have Ferengi all over it, especially, uh, you know, short shrifting the messengers and really keeping them on a short leash. Yeah, I mean, I, they at least were consultants in this. I would imagine so. So we'll see. We haven't seen a Ferengi yet in a modern Star Trek context, I don't think, between Picard and Discovery. So who knows? Considering how they designed the Klingons, maybe the Ferengi just look very, very different <laughs> from what we're used to. Well, they looked pretty dumb in yeah. the in the TNG DS9 era. That was that was some supreme loafing. Yeah, I mean, specifically, like, back of the head loafing. We'll see. Maybe they still have those lampshades a thousand years later that they wear on the back of their heads, too. Yep, the the decorative the decorative headband so you didn't have to see the seams on the back of the loaf. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, we don't even, we don't need to put, you know, you through two more hours of makeup. Let's just cover this up with, like, a little sheet of cloth. <laughs> Sweep it under the rug. Exactly. So we'll see. That's the other great thing about this, too, Jess, is, like, we have so many 
species we can not only see from a new perspective but like see a disco take on because like we've seen you know obviously we've seen klingons we've seen saurians in the form of linus but like there aren't too many classic species that we're really used to seeing that much yeah and i love that they are paying such close attention to details Mm. on this because you know, they could have done the TNG thing where they land on a random planet and it's just like a random dude with like a ridge on his forehead. Yeah. But this is, I, you know, they are going deep into the mythology. We're having Caridianites and who even knew, who even could spot those mile off, which is amazing. I think anytime we're going to run into a new species now, it's not going to necessarily be a totally new species. And I think that I think Disco has done a great job of weaving the mythology in and in places where only the deepest of deep nerds would think to look. Totally agree. Yeah, it makes it makes me very excited to see what's to come, especially, you know, we had a lot of populations mixing in the 23rd and 24th century. What's it going to be like in the 32nd century? Have populations separated back out again or are they more intermixed than ever? I'm excited to find out. Yep, I think we have so many great things that we're going to find out this season. And I think the I think the season so far is off to such a fun start. Yeah, and these podcasts are off to a fun start as well. I I'm, I'm so excited that we're, you know, through the first couple and now we have 11 weeks of nothing but hopefully joyousness with some drama thrown in there for good measure. I think we're going to run the gamut of emotions, Mike. It's going to be joy. It's going to be sorrow. I think somebody's probably going to die. It's going to upset us. Yeah, we have too big of a crew to not have somebody die, including if we're adding more characters on, too. Yeah, it seems like where are all these extra crew members that we were promised? I'm very excited to meet them. Yeah, so am I. I mean, I would imagine maybe going to Earth next week, we'll meet at least one of them. That's going to be my hot take. But we've got plenty of episodes to introduce them. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to come, Mike. We are barely even we've barely even scratched the surface of the parasitic ice. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for it. Yeah. So, Mike, tell me a little bit about what else is going on in your world. Lots in my world, a whole ice planet full of stuff. So obviously, Jess, you and I are covering the amazing race, which is doing twice a weekly podcast. Of course, you and myself and Rob Cesarnino are doing recap propers of the episodes airing the next day. But of course, we're doing a weekend event called the Tar Pits, not the Ice Pits, the Tar Pits, in which case Rob is gone right now. So it's going to be the lawless trio of you, me, and two-time amazing racer Corey Cool are going to be getting together to do some really fun stuff around episode two so be sure to check that out of course i'm still doing big brother that aired its penultimate week uh so i'm covering that doing interviews for parade.com and of course the rhap bnb as well as back over here going down the hatch with lost and off-mentioned show on this podcast with josh wiggler so yeah lots of great stuff going on and then over on cbr.com i'm posting uh some star trek recaps and breakout stuff and posting some uh stuff that actually applies to your other gig here on poster recaps Yes, I have some Walking Dead adjacent stories, interviews from the Walking Dead World Beyond and Fear the Walking Dead cast on. I'm so sorry, Mike. The malarkey that's to come with these two shows. Yeah, I'm so sorry you have to do that. I I hope they're paying you well. Yeah, I mean, listen, the the 90s kid in me wouldn't have never thought that I would do a Zoom call with Jenna Elfman. And now I can cross that off my bucket list in my Lisa Frank notebook. That's that's fantastic, Mike. I can't wait to see what you had to say about that. Yeah, I mean, she, the, the, the actors are very fun to talk to. You know, Lenny James, I got the opportunity to speak with him a bit about, you know, where his character is. And obviously he had his directorial debut last week as well. I got to talk with I have one coming up actually for this next episode, too. So that's all at CBR.com. And I'll be doing some Star Trek stuff as well, hopefully getting some interviews so I can finally ask the question. Why did you call episode one part one? But there are no episodes after it called part two. Yeah, where's part two, Kurtzman? Yeah, that's my first question, Alex Kurtzman. Even after they like kill Michael Burnham, I'm like, okay, we can deal with that, you know, after the fact. But first, where is part two? Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's definitely the angle you want to take on that, Mike. And so, speaking of Walking Dead, World Beyond, and Fear the Walking Dead, Josh Wiggler and I here on Post Show Recaps have kind of compressed those two series into one tasty podcast got some peanut butter in the chocolate chocolate in the peanut butter and we're calling that fear the walking dead world beyond and we're going to be breaking down everything that happened in both of those series and one of them is actually pretty great right now Mm. 
One of them, eh, not so much, but that's also fun to talk about. Yeah, please keep it vague so that people don't know and they have to watch both shows to figure it out. I I think you could probably figure that you probably don't even need to watch a full episode of either one to figure (laughs) out what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So that's been very fun. And the aforementioned Amazing Race thing is happening as well. And I want to put a plug out there. Um, over here on Post Show Recaps, we have recently launched our patron program and you mm-hmm. can support us with Patreon. And that gives you lots of great perks, such as extra podcasts, one of which I will be recording on Tuesday. We're going to be watching the seminal 1990s drama interview with the vampire. Oh, just in time for the spooky season to reach its very frightening conclusion. Yes, we are at the zenith of the spooky season, and I feel like there's no better movie than this movie to cap it all off. So I'm very excited about that. And that is just one of the several really amazing extra podcasts you get when you sign up with us on Patreon.com. You also get access at the $10 level at above. You get access to a patron discord where we talk about everything. There is a channel that started out being a channel where we all pretend we're on vacation together, and now they're just posting gifts of dragons. I don't know what happened there, but I think it's worth signing up just to find that out. Uh, discord has been a one of the amazing discoveries of this year for me. I'm I was going to say, you can't time. play Discord without disco. It's true. And we got a disco channel in there. And I would love to hear from anybody in our patron community about how they're enjoying disco so far. And please engage us on that. We're in there all the time. And we'd love to chat with you about that. So I think it is worth signing up at any level. The highest level gets you a Wombat's hat and some other cool merch that's coming your way very, very soon. So to sign up with all that and to find out more, you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash Patreon and all of the good details are there. I, I, yeah, there's so much available. Like you can talk with both of us on there about basically anything, even outside of Star Trek. There is, there's so much going on. I mean, as Jess is alluding to, surprisingly, TV is more popping than ever at this moment, both from a scripted and unscripted perspective. And we're talking about it all. And you want to nerd out with us. Come on. I, I know you want to. Plus, bonus podcast, a newsletter that Jess herself curates. So be sure to check it all out. You will not regret the choice of becoming a patron. It's true. There are many things in this life that you will regret. Perhaps taking that Saurian back to your quarters and finding out exactly what the full spectrum of his visible eyesight thing. I don't know where I'm going with that. I don't know. Just put a, I just put a magic eye poster in front of him and then just go to town, you know, like that really keeps him distracted. It's true. I, well, I, you know, pain is Giorgio's foreplay. Magic eye posters are Linus's. (laughs) And I'm, I'm now I'm shipping this because I want to see the short trek on the, you know, CBS All All Access. Yeah, exactly. Like CBS All Access After Dark. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, Mike, is there anything else we need to share with the people? Uh, one Star Trek adjacent thing. Uh, there was a new Captain Janeway statue that was recently debuted in Bloomington, Indiana. I would say check that out on various social media if you want to, uh, if you want to see it. It's a nice bust of Janeway with her arms crossed, looking very dominant. And everything's coming up Janeway as of late. So that's the random piece of Star Trek news I have. That's very exciting. That's, I would say, in any other climate, that's worth a road trip, but it's at least worth looking up online. Oh, definitely worth, yeah, definitely worth a gander, I would say. It's, yes. it's, it's not, it's, it's definitely not on the level of like the Lucy statue that was butchered completely that one year. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I definitely, of all the things I saw, there's that. You could do that like on your, you know, on your road trip to the Kirk statue in Riverside, Iowa. Exactly. <laughs> Midwest is just full of Star Trek captains. Yeah, I'm, listen, there's a lot of land out there, more so than maybe in some of these urban populations. I think, use it for good. And good, I mean, putting up sculptures of Star Trek captains. I'm still waiting for Bozeman, Montana to erect that Zephram Cochran statue. Uh, Maybe one day, maybe as we get closer to the actual first contact day proper, they'll finally do it and build that damn rocket, too. I'm throwing a party, Mike. I'm, I'm happy. I would love it. I love it personally. I would get as drunk as Zephram Cochran did when they found him. Yeah, same. I might just do that tonight, though. <laughs> just get full, go full Cochran. I'm going full Cochran. 
Um, and not not John Cochran of the writing staff of Star Trek Lower Decks. So many Cochrans involved. Maybe he got hired. Now, I wouldn't say this was completely the reason. He's a very talented man. But you'd have to imagine the last name does tie into it a bit. A little bit of nepotism there, Mike, don't you think? I would imagine so. Yeah. So we would love to hear all of your takes on this. You can hit us up at the patron group. Uh, you can hit us up on our email address, which is Star Trek at postshowrecaps.com. That goes straight into our inboxes and we can hear from you there. You can also hit us up on Twitter. You can reach me at Haymaker Hattie. And you can reach me at a Mike Bloom type. Uh, and of course, if we're still in the first couple episodes of this season, so if you are not subscribed to our Star Trek only feed, postshowrecaps.com slash Star Trek will take you there. And any ratings and reviews would be incredible, especially as many stars as you can give us. This is early on in the season and people are wanting to check out new Star Trek podcasts. And while we are far from new, we want to bring them up into people's eyes so that you don't need to be Linus to see where we are out there in the Apple podcast of it all. Yeah, we want more stars than there are on the 32nd century Federation flag. That's a good, that's a good, it's a low bar, but it's a good bar. That's a bar I think we can easily clear here, Mike. Amen. <laughs> so with all of that, that was a lot of administrative notes that went way longer than I thought it was going to. That's Starfleet. That's Starfleet for you. We're all about protocol. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for joining me once again. Uh, thanks to all of the listeners. Uh, live long and prosper, everyone. We'll see you next week. <laughs>